0: Was that a triple? Yeah, I'm not going to anything. Did you What's do that? a triple clap?
1: No, I did double.
0: Wow, it sounded like a triple. So All right, you ready? Welcome to TGE, the podcast. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Hacksaw Rich, and it's... Uh, continuation from the last podcast where we were talking about The Seven Samurai. I'm curious to find out why so might you. How are you doing? How are things going with you? How's your editing going? Tyler, how are you doing?
1: (laughs) So we were addressing the audience and now you're addressing me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was trying
0: to ask the audience how they're doing and then I realized... I should introduce you. So I was trying to like segue. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm doing good. I think that it's good to ask the audience uh, or the listeners. I'm curious how they're doing as well. We appreciate the comments, the reactions, the feedback on YouTube, the feedback on this guy. This guy, edis.com slash podcast. Yes, we enjoy the feedback. We we gain from it. Uh, it influences the show, lets us know what to talk about, look at, and if you enjoy what you're hearing, subscribe to the podcast. Also, we're waiting to know if anyone has told their iPhone to subscribe to the podcast and if Siri has done it for you. And also, you can subscribe on Stitcher. You, you can subscribe on Spotify and let your friends know about it. We appreciate it. Thank you kindly. So, what's going so anyways, on? What friend,
0: happened this week, Tyler? How was your week? Well, this week, couple things. It was a
1: good week. Um, they want me to drop it, Sven. This podcast wants me to drop it and move on, but I won't. I shall not. Uh, John Ottman has now posted a rebuttal to oh, no. the controversy swirling the editing of... He's still talking about Bohemian Rhapsody? Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes,
0: sir. This has to be the fourth because episode.
1: Well, I just if we got it out there louder, I think we could have just stopped all this because I'm blown away by this idea that like some mediocre YouTube video has been made with like just a backwards look at the editing of that scene, not really criticizing it for the right reasons. And now it's gone so viral that now I, I don't know which direction to go on this. John Ottman was interviewed and this came up and he gave a response to it. To me, it, it screams staged, staged interview. So I don't know whether to take this as, oh, no, he's he's backing down and not standing behind what I now call the, the finest edited scene in the history of cinema. OK, or, which,
0: which scene are you talking about? Just for the two the listeners cafe that, scene. that are new. The, the cafe con- scene, yes. The
1: controversial, the controversial cafe scene. Or if he, this is just a, an editor's masterstroke, just to get people to stop. Because if he would have defended it and explained what I think, and really the only new thought I have to add to any of this is that I'm often impressed by things that that you think work watching them, which I think is totally the case with this scene it I, it never bothered me watching it until this this twitter thing went around where the editor is cheating which is what that scene feels like it's not really playing out in real time and yet in an incredible amount is being accomplished in it which to me just seems like more masterful editing than anything and most scenes again you start picking them apart you will find problems i promise you because You know, if you're an incredibly amateurish editor, and I see this all the time working with student filmmakers, you can focus on things like only paying attention to the three dimensional continuity. Well, does this match? Where were they? But look, they couldn't possibly physically be in that position in their seat if they weren't, you know, doing this when the last shot ended. That's not what the scene is about. Get over it. You are a hack. But, anyways, that's my uh, reaction to it. So I don't know if he's decided to not challenge it because. You know, and just say, oh, "Okay, yeah, whatever." It's bad because he doesn't want to reveal the masterful secrets <laughs> behind the greatest scene ever edited in the history of film.
0: Yeah, I think he. I, I mean, I read his quote in the Washington Post, and there it was very mm-hmm. understated. I don't think he really was like backing down. That's not the impression that I had. I think he was just saying, "Look, this is one of those scenes that you cut, and afterwards, you you don't really want to talk about it any further." But I think, <laughs> I think the press. We well, said he wants sort of, to put a bag over his head. <laughs> he might have said that. He sees yeah, it. <laughs> he, and that's, that's the quote. That's what then the headline became on slash uh, no, on Slate, um, and other outlets were picking it up that it's like clearly like he's embarrassed about it or something. And well, of course he is. These Twitter trolls going after him. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe he's not used to trolls. Like maybe he needs to have a YouTube channel <laughs> and just get used to it, grow a thicker skin, and then just own it. I don't know. That's uh, a good point because yeah. you get torn for all kinds
1: of things. I mean you make weak
0: coffee. You misspell <laughs> coffee. <laughs> What's, S- you want to ex- it's, yeah, it's amazing. Every time if I would respond to every comment where somebody finds a mistake, I'd be too busy. Explaining myself, and i wouldn't have enough time to make stuff, so that happens, <laughs> and you move on and but that's a I, really good point, yeah, go ahead, no no, I was going to say i it 's just a good point that
1: I never I mean, yeah, editors aren't dealing with, you know, the PR side of filmmaking at all. You, It's an invisible art form. You should be vanishing. Mm-hmm. But every part of it screams, like, sta- Like no way the Washington Post just happened to be talking to an editor. Like, some PR person was like, let's get ahead of this. <laughs> what can we do? And now it seems like the fire's out. But we're relighting it. If you want to listen to Bohemian Absody, the other side of the coin, you can listen to our episode, which I think is a more even uh, dissection of the scene.
0: Yeah, and I think bottom but, line is when i watched the movie and you had the same experience it's not like we were like wait a minute let's stop the movie right here and let's like rewatch the <laughs> scene and and just just try to comprehend why the scene is so choppy that's not what happened i mean i just took it and somebody at some point noticed something and got pissed off and started putting it on twitter and now everybody was talking about it
1: yeah and the beautiful thing with it was and for all we know it was someone else's nominated for an oscar you know what i mean yeah like it's not like mark duplot it's like some <laughs> unknown random looking twitter account that did it so it's very likely that this was just a campaign thing but that said and so that'd be an interesting conspiracy for for our, our listeners to chase whoever our conspiracy or com- conspiracy person is
0: but the the big reveal in the article was that that was a Dexter Fletcher shot scene. That's true. That's true. I didn't know that. That was new to me. And that's interesting. That, that sh- scene must have been shot sort of after the fact. Because it's early in the movie. And, but it's like almost a pickup.
1: Yeah. And then another thing that was funny in that is he kind of just mentioned a couple others that were or the article did. And one of them was another one bites the dust, I think. Uh-huh. Right? Which is another like that's a very fast scene that i thought was like an amazing scene where the manager decides you know they get in a fight they resolve it they start jamming this tune and the manager's like i am gonna represent you like it was another not that or the lawyer became the manager yeah it was in so i guess he was just filming that arc but it was another scene where just like a ton of information happens in like a really cool fast stylized way that
0: that felt very cool yeah so it's kind of interesting to see that i tell you one thing that I do. I often cut scenes w- without the conti- breaking the continuity. Not intentionally, but making a sacrifice because emotionally mm-hmm. I'm going for something else. And then I'm watching it with the right. director and I'm saying, hey, how did you like the scene? And the director's like, yeah, this works for me. It's good. And then I'm like, I just want to point out to you, when you look from this shot to this shot, here the kid is having the finger in the jar and here somebody's hugging the kid in the other shot. Um, just that you were aware, I know that the continuity is off, but you didn't notice it. And most people won't notice it because we're just, it's all pacing and emotion at this point. And it's like, oh, if you wouldn't have said anything, I wouldn't have noticed. And maybe that's yeah. what's going on here.
1: Well, filmmaking is rife with that. And there's nothing more fun as an editor than getting away with those things to yeah. me. You know, yeah. knowing like I cheated and made it better and no one's ever going to know.
0: Yeah, I just wanna, I just want to let the director know want him to be aware of it so that he or she then can decide whether he can live with that or maybe even put some CGI in there or so. Like there's one shot in the movie I'm cutting right now where you can see a crew member's shoes in the, in the top corner. And I I picked that take because I thought it's the best take of the actor. And I just Mm -hmm. pointed out to the director and said, look, if you freeze here, you'll see a shoe there. So either we'll, reframe or we'll use a different take or we'll use some cgi and get that out but i think this is the best performance we should stick with it
1: right once you've made those choices there's so many ways to soften them with uh color and sound and and so many things that it's just kind of you know i don't know weird to 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 do that pass of like matching it just doesn't make because that's not the experience of cinema that you're creating it's just it's ludicrous and i think if you're working with a director have you ever been where you're like all right i did something masterful and the director's like oh but his you know his shoes like like the the knot like the bow of his shoe is on the left side of his left foot and it was on the top of his yeah. foot in the last show
0: there's a lot of details <laughs> where i and that's with Many directors where they're like, oh, this is really important to me, like that we see this. And I'm thinking in my head, that's important to you, but it's not important to the, uh, to the audience at all. It doesn't mean anything to them. It just means something to you because it took you three weeks to find that authentic prop or whatever it is. Um, right. So you want to have it in the film. But uh, some of these things matter to the director and that's what should be in the film just for... The director, like another example, the director really wants to have a frog, an insert of a frog in the movie anywhere he says, because he grew up and right. that was his nickname. So anything he does, he <laughs> always puts a frog in there. And I'm like, okay, good, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah,
1: but I'm talking like basic continuity, like oh, the flap of his of the pocket on his left breast was was tucked in right. in the last shot, and now it's out. Right. Totally. Um, but anyways that 's why we 're so glad to have listeners that are filmmakers, writers, directors edit your own stuff when you 're starting out so you can learn the power that editing has so you know not to lose your mind when the Twitter video goes out because now we have people attacking it's set, the thing that worries me is that it's now now we have audiences that are analyzing editing in a movie that works yeah um and it 's like really, do we really want to open like what it <laughs> It's just a slippery slope from here, folks, so so be careful, especially if the scene is motivated from shot to shot, which that one is. It might
0: happen a little faster than you might be comfortable with, but it works in the movie. But aren't we Deal with it. part of the problem? I mean, that's what we're doing, right? We're analyzing stuff, so well, we're, we're, we're demystifying creating awareness. Things.
1: Yeah, but we want it on our terms, Sven. Right. <laughs> no, uh... I don't, but that's the thing that I realized also is that I feel like we're doing a more constructive analysis kind of of why things are working. With the exception of Peter Rabbit, I don't think we've really done why this isn't working. Right. I feel like the goal, what we're doing with this podcast is. For ourselves, maybe selfishly, but really, and we're going to see it as an example with the scene today. There's a really good example of this where I couldn't figure out why the scene was this way, and then when I did, recognized, oh, that's very uh, a great creative tool to have. So I feel like that's a lot of what we're doing is looking at stuff and kind of exploring why it works. And if it's the music in Peter Rabbit that (laughs) are still our lowest listened to episode, I'm sorry, (laughs) it was my choice. It's uh, you know, it was a constructive breakdown of why that didn't work it wasn't i don't know it's like we're right basically is what i'm saying hey it's, it's we're all right good.
0: it's a learning process we're still in the pre like we're still undiscovered we can try a lot of things and can screw up a lot and and experiment with the formant and i think that was peter rabbit was an experiment and <laughs> it worked for what it was yeah just no one wants to listen to it which and you shouldn't <laughs>
1: Oh, great i i i see and it's if you want to know you can watch these viral youtube videos and then listen to our podcast our analysis of the bohemian rhapsody scene if you're interested in the difference of our approach and i don't i don't like to dissect my art beyond that <laughs> Sven, we'll just yeah we'll just let the we'll just let our analysis speak for itself and if that's what you're into then cool you've come to the right place if not
0: subscribe anyways nice all right <laughs> Good stuff. Well, shall we talk a little bit about it, um, Hacksaw Ridge? Sure.
1: Where? What do we want to? Say? Now you asked. To,
0: you said you didn't know why, even though. I, yeah, um, I have to have. I have to make a confession. I did not finish the film. Um, I watched it for thirty minutes and I got bored and mm-hmm. I stopped watching it. So. Which is an
1: understandable reaction.
0: How so? Because it's boring? Because
1: for th- No, because for the first 30 minutes of this movie, there is no action war battle. There's like a bl- I feel like there's a guy who gets hit by a car or, or a car falls on his leg and there's like a spurting artery mm-hmm. out of nowhere and it's like, oh, that's jacked up. And then like the awareness World War II is going on, which is some of, you know, the tragedy is you never made it to the battle scenes because we're going to look at the first battle scene because once it starts, it's like, one, I think he was just bottling the budget. gibson like you couldn't just do wall-to-wall action on this so there's like you know 30 40 minutes of setup but when it goes it's a horror movie like i've never seen it's absolutely mortifying to like see this thing in a theater i mean re-looking at it for just for this was was quite startling yeah which is not why we're looking at it
0: yeah if once you send me the link to the scene i started watching and i'm like oh my god this is like i don't is this a different movie it's it's horrific. It's just getting started. Also, okay. That's so builds, what we're looking at is literally
1: they're passing a lot of stuff like approaching this, like they're passing people being carried out. So I guess that's why the thirty minutes work at the beginning too of like, oh wait, oh there's violence going on, and then this happens, and again, you know, rising action. It Mel Gibson uh, follows that rule. It it gets crazier. Like, wow. This is just the first thing that happens. So, but that's not why we're looking at it. And this isn't a movie that, you know, I mean, again, I, I kind of forgot the impact that it had on me until you just said you didn't watch it. I was like, oh, but you got to see it. Um, obviously, it's, you know, it's a very memorable film, very well executed. But we're looking at it specifically talking about the line. We looked at, because mm-hmm. it's been coming up a lot, the screen direction, right? The directions things are going on the screen. We talked about different pros and cons in past episodes there's a certain weight to things traveling right to left as there is versus traveling left to right. Those are different things. And also the direction people are facing is important and battle scenes are great to look at that with. And we looked at it in regards to how it was used in seven samurai, a movie that had its own unique challenges. Mm-hmm. And I've always used Hacksaw Ridge as a reference for this idea. Cause one war films, it's very important screen direction. So you have a basic sense of which Enemy is fighting which direction. Mm-hmm. But this is an extremely heightened example of that because, one, the battlefield's so mono- not monotonous. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but it's so sort of uniform in its appearance. Mm-hmm. It's just like death and decay and dirt. Everyone's covered in shit, both sides. The uniforms look very similar, yep. and there is dust in the air you can't really see. Um, so you really need to be respecting the screen direction for this to work. And I specifically remembered the screen direction, everything that they did going left to right in this. Right. I, and I guess I shouldn't say that. There's a very clear sense of which way the American soldiers are going. But also, obviously, this guy is Desmond Doss, you know, a decorated hero for, right, for being a, a pacifist that did not engage in combat. So he's running and pulling people And saving them. So Mm -hmm. he's constantly changing the direction he's heading. So it was very important in this film that it was very well respected, the screen direction. So there is, you know, so I thought this would be a good one to look at and kind of talk us through. Because there's actually a break in it that's really important to understand also. How you can can break things and break the rules and maximize that for the film.
0: Yeah, I'd be very curious to see what you what you discovered because i started watching it and at the beginning it was very left to right and then like a minute into it i'm like wait a second this is like going in all different directions um, yeah S- but let's set it up let's set the movie up hacksaw rich is a 2016 biographical war drama directed by mel gibson written by andrew knight and robert schenken based on the 2004 documentary the conscientious objector The film focuses on World War II uh, experiences of Desmond Doss, an American pacifist combat medic who, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, refused to carry or use a weapon or firearm of any kind. Doss becomes the first conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor for service above and beyond the call of duty during the Battle of Okinawa. Okay, the film was released on November 4th, 2016. It grossed worldwide 175 million, uh, received largely positive reviews. It got six Oscar nominations, and including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, and a lot of sound and editing. And it won for Best Editing. And the other mind boggling thing about this movie is the budget.
1: I think it was $40 million.
0: Okay, that's that's very low considering the production. Considering, value. A, yeah, and
1: the filmmaking <laughs>
0: skill it takes to deliver this movie at that budget is, it's it's mind blowing. How
1: is this possible?
0: I should also mention it but, won an Oscar for best sound mixing. Sorry, I missed that.
1: Yes, excellent. And then a couple things about John Gilbert, the editor's approach. He likes to be on set, we've learned. He likes to be cutting as the dailies come in, not necessarily like on set in the the smoke and debris. But, you know, receiving dailies and cutting immediately so that there's something to present very quickly once the cut is done to get it out. Yeah. And another fun thing we learned looking at this was that he likes to edit to the script. So that first cut, he always has a pass that he does that is loyal and faithful to the script. And we all know as editors that often, ideally, it doesn't work. That, you know, the movie isn't going to be a perfect exact representations of what was written because that means your movie's working. If you can lose lines, you can lose moments, you can maybe lose entire scenes because there's something that's happening in the action that so represents that. So purely you don't need to be redundant with it, but he likes to do a pass where he just has that script preserved somewhere because he knows that's important. And that's, what's being worked towards in the filming that he, that he saves and, and puts aside.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a really good idea to do as an editor. It's, Obviously, if you have the luxury to do it, it's great because it it doesn't mean that you have to spend probably three to four months just cutting the film straight the way that it was intended. And then you have to look at it and then you start cutting it. On this film that I'm cutting right now, we were fortunate that somebody else did the first cut and just really did the script, word for word, every line, everything the way it was intended. So the director and I, we could look at it and we could just have a conversation. And then when I started cutting it, I felt more comfortable immediately making drastic choices and restructuring and reshaping certain things. And then just having having that constant dialogue with the director where like, okay, this is going too far. We need to pull back. But sort of I'm pushing it all the way and then the director pulls me back by 20%. And that really makes some major structural and major changes that – hopefully we'll then make this a better film i have to i have With to be honest idea. it's hard for me to cut a scene the way that it was written when i already feel like it's not working i really have to mm-hmm. like make myself because i always want to like protect the film i want to like there's a better film here let's get to it right but it's really important that you have the director be part of that process and you're not withholding because as soon as you make changes and the director hasn't seen the the reason why you made those changes you're going to have to like explain it explaining your edit is not a good situation you want the director to be on board as you're doing it mm-hmm.
1: Yes, indeed. So let's get on board and check this scene out. Let's do it. see what they whittled it down to. And I think to do that, let's just quickly and clearly establish what the screen direction is. And then we can look at different moments for like where the line might be for that. But there's a general sense that the American soldiers, what direction would you say they're moving in general, Sven?
0: Uh, Left to right.
1: Yeah, and I was I in Japanese right to left, and so therefore if 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 Desmond is running right to left, it's probably because he's rescuing someone.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I had the audacity for years to be saying Hacksaw Ridge perfectly respects screen direction every single thing, and didn't realize <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. I'd never looked at it again. I just assumed that was true, yeah. and then watching the scene was like, oh, it's a little all over the place. But we're gonna we're gonna look at,
0: at specifically why. Now this is a pretty long scene. Are we watching the whole? It thing? is.
1: We are, but it's also not a scene where there's literally any dialogue, so it's going to allow us to kind of talk through it. Okay. This clip that we have here actually starts at 14 seconds. Yeah. Okay. And again, just keep in mind, they're, they're moving along, and this movie has not had violence in it, and then out of nowhere. I mean, obviously, we know there's going to be some, but just the way this goes down is just mind-boggling.
0: Oh, yeah. What we're doing is we're actually watching the scene together. If you want to and you have uh, the ability, check out the link in the podcast description. There will be a link of that scene. It's widely available on the internet. And when we say click, you just play along and we're going to describe the scene for anybody who's not doing that. And then we're also going to go back and analyze the editing and filmmaking, storytelling, all that good stuff. I'm ready. So, three,
1: two, click. Click. All right, so here he is. They're moving along. Oh, boom. They find a guy, Basis. and just the violence begins. Oh, my God. There were, like, two people by shot by in bullets. the head right at the beginning. Yeah, and now there's, like, 20 dead, um, and, you know,
0: goodness gracious, you're getting the sense they're being blown all over the place. So they're oh, moving left to wow. right, and they're just being pummeled yeah. by gunshots. These
1: things... These things are happening fast, and we're also finding ways to like put certain characters in certain places. We're watching back at it; you don't realize these plants or seeds are being planted. A guy was just blown in half. They're going left to right. Oh, boom, boom! It's just this relentless gore. Another it's really shocking down. that it's like
0: the, it's not the first bullet that kills them. Usually, it's like one hit. They realize they got hit, and yeah. then they get pummeled by a couple of more bullets. Mandola. Right,
1: and now we have Garfield. It's which is interesting screen direction on that. All right now we're going to have this a little bit of this turning point, where the guy picks up the dead soldier, like half a body, takes out. Yeah, he's using the body as a shield, taking out some of the Japanese soldiers. Which seems and then kind the of torch guy Yeah. It's. I mean, the, uh, the rumor about this movie is that they, and not necessarily that moment, but this, they claim that if they had told the true story, like, no one would believe it, because this is tame compared to, in terms of his, uh, what uh, Desmond uh, did in the war. Um, and they're just kind of setting these people up like, oh, there's no way that guy's going to die, and then, boom, dead, gone. So there's all these little things going on within it. But pay attention, for the most part, the screen direction has been going left, right, This blowtorch thing has been set up. Yeah, flamethrower is going
0: in the opposite direction. So it feels like the guy that... that Somebody just saved a bunch of Americans by coming with a flamethrower and killing off a couple of Japanese soldiers. And he came from the other direction.
1: Well, kind of. But we set up that he was going that way, so it's like he doubled back. And now we have this cool grenade moment where the guy's going the other direction. But I'm going to explain why that happened in a moment um, because that was the thing that kind of threw me the most. But the thing I would pay attention to in this is that when the screen direction is changing, it's really in moments of chaos and it's kind of being used to make those crazier and more intense. It's not... And it's actually even allowing the audience to be a little confused here and there because we are in, you know, the midst of battle. So it's like you have to have... And we could explain where the line is in each of these, but you have to have that sense of the screen direction and able to mess with it and have the confusion. If you just have cameras all over the place shooting both directions all the time, things are crazy, you're not going to be able to kind of make it seem confusing and overwhelming. You're just going to have an unwatchable mess on your hands. Yeah. Which is... Wow, and it's funny. I didn't even realize... I mean, I knew it was six minutes when I started watching, but it just goes by so, so, so quickly. Um, I don't know that there's a lot more we need to look at with this. I think the point has been made where we could maybe go back and dissect
0: that. Okay. Well, the one thing that I immediately noticed was Mm -hmm. that it's interesting how they made sure that we recognize Garfield in here. Mm. that we because everybody has the same it's just monochromatic everybody kind of looks the same but he looks Mm -hmm. like i don't know his helmet looks like way bigger than everybody else's like his head is just so small (laughs) and he he just has this look of like his eyes are wide open and that's that's how (laughs) you recognize him like you just see his wide-eyed look all the time
1: yeah, he's recognized as an actor, but also, if you notice, the first time we kind of see him in this, he is actually, it's a different screen direction. Yeah. He's facing left to right than, than the other characters, even when we first see his close-ups and stuff, so it really helps him kind of jump out. But yeah, the way he's photo because I don't even recognize Vince Vaughn, you know, like it takes a
0: minute I to recognize no him, so they're yeah, definitely... I've didn't even know
1: they 're giving him a little more they 're giving Garfield obviously more in terms of the photography and stuff to to make him jump out more and now he 's carrying a guy back moving right to left so we get that um, What time this I Sorry, I stopped. oh i 'm just i 'm just still watching i 'm at four fifty four I just kept going through the scene okay so i 'm hooked i 'm sucked in anyways i 'm gonna stop because we have established all that we need. Um, and now he's moving back left, right. So I'm not stopping. Um, <laughs> now there's a guy trapped out there. There's about a minute left. And he, he pitches them on this idea like they can't see us and rushes out there. And they're like, okay, cool. And then realize that's totally wrong. So... Another thing to keep in mind with this, and this is good, just a good note for, for in general, for action directors, is there's a lot of little scenes within this, yeah. right? Yeah. And some of these line breaks are how we are breaking those up. Okay. This is. I'm. I'm stopping it. Sorry. I keep saying I am
0: and I don't, but I stopped it. I'm, I'm I stopped you keep it. playing because right. you're not stopping.
1: Okay. All right, all right. I started it again. So, yeah, and you can see there's a lot of shots where they're staring straight down the line, so that's not throwing us off, but they're coming right at us. Um, We got Vaughn going on. This is just a crazy, crazy thing. You can tell people are kind of shooting the wrong direction. All right, okay, I stopped. Um, All right, so... Yes, so the one thing that I just want to draw attention to is this moment at... The biggest line break is right after the blow torching, right? I That's... feel like, and it's at two seventeen, is where we have this really big break in screen direction. Okay. So two just from two seventeen forward. So two eighteen exactly. This guy comes running up, and he's moving right to left. Yeah. Total break in screen direction, but. And now we just have a new scene, which is one of the reasons to do that, with Garfield being the hero and jumping on the guy. But
0: why do you think... So does that mean we're we're nowhere near the flamethrower at this point? This is like a different point on the battlefield?
1: Well, that's a good question. And that kind of goes with the whole chaos of battle thing. Like, the question is, does it take you out of it not to know exactly where they are in relation to each other? Yeah. But also the question is, why do such a crazy break in screen direction for that moment?
0: Yeah, I, I, I can see that uh, it really sort of resets us, what you were saying. Like, we're now in a different, it's a story turn. Right. Which is kind of, I guess I gave it away. <laughs> but, I mean, even the yeah. flamethrower itself is right to left. Then it's left to right, Jesus Christ. And then it's right to left again.
1: So that's just like the – I think that's some of it that's knowing when you've, when you've established skin direction, you can break it a little bit. Yeah. And I think that helps in those moments that it's just all over the place because we're not losing the audience, but we are adding to that anxiety and craziness of like, wait, what's happening? Who's shooting which
0: way? What's going on? Yeah. Well, looking back at it one more time, it suddenly looked like there are two flamethrowers, like they're being right. torched from both sides. But that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It is chaos. Yeah. And
1: then just real quick for that line break at two. Well, let's see. I feel like the flamethrower guy is shooting straight on though. Like, I don't know if we are breaking the line,
0: are we? Well, look at 206 and just freeze there.
1: Okay. So, right. So 203, it is shooting right to left. Well, the flamethrower is. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. 206. Is. Well, 206 is left to right. So that makes sense.
0: No, it's right. The, to the left. flames are shooting left to right. No, they're they're coming from the right side. Right, but isn't that the Japanese troops? Is that the Japanese guy who throws the flamethrower? No, that's an American guy who's shooting right to left. And to me, emotionally, this feels like he's coming from behind. Like the Japanese didn't expect this to happen because they were going in the other direction, trying to kill the Americans on the left side.
1: So at 2.03... He's definitely, he's definitely aiming right to left, but that's just, it's a weird thing. I feel like <laughs> that's, I feel like he's on the line, like the screen direction, he's on the line. He's just swinging wide to do this, but you can see how that could read like, oh, it's shooting backwards. So maybe that's it's sweet. even a mistake. And then everything else mm-hmm. is on the
0: line. 206 i feel like the flames are shooting left to right on yeah. these guys yeah it does 206 well there are two shots in 206 so the first one he goes right gotcha. to left the second one is left to right just cut back to but is back. that
1: just the way that he's
0: sweeping the flames you know what i mean it, it almost feels to me like it's a reverse if that makes sense like it's from the yeah, japanese well, point of view of him shooting shooting at them.
1: Well, it looks like it's it looks like it's our point of view. The very first 206 shot looks like it's us shooting. We're looking at them getting sprayed down. And you're right. Okay, so it is going right to left. Yeah. Well, the first kinda.
0: one and then the second one goes left to right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess this is where we get into the weeds with the screen direction thing. Like I feel I feel like the camera for all for those shots is on like actually on the line facing towards the Japanese troops and mm-hmm. he's just positioned to the right. But that's when it gets tricky when you have things suddenly going a different direction on the screen. And I'm not saying that 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 was done like with them trying for it to be smooth. I think it was like total chaos. And I think that there was a way to wait a frame or two to not make it seem like he's behind them. Yeah. But I feel like the way it was done just kind of is like a thing that you see with a lot of explosion moments is where you really like intentionally push the discontinuity. Yeah. Yeah. get a little crazy with it
0: it's like it's just you just going with the emotion i think or the energy
1: yeah which is break the rules and then the other the other thing i want to point out about the 219 like definitive line break of like characters are literally now moving a different direction on the screen is that as always with any line break action directors if you you want to have the camera moving across it or show the characters moving across it Mm -hmm. right so because we have that camera swoop it's kind of like we're like wait we have a guy moving right to left what's going on but that camera movement allows us to kind of reestablish the line for this scene. Mm-hmm. So now we have that's this true. new scene that's kind of like a new bit with what's going on with, with Desmond. And it's it's a nice thing because it's like it's just a scene. It's like almost like you could see like exterior, different part of the battlefield. But then and maybe you cut it together in a way where it's like, okay, we get that they're here, here's here. But ultimately, it's like in the chaos of battle, you know,
0: you just want that feeling of of just going right to the next thing and not getting hung up on it. Yep. So does Desmond not carry a knife or anything? He just doesn't kill anybody, or what's his?
1: No, yeah, that's the thing. It's the true story. He was, yeah, he's a conscientious objector, did not want to be in the war, and then refused to harm anyone. So, yeah, saved. He he got a medal for saving seventy five people, I believe, but the other soldiers on the field claim he saved over a hundred. And apparently, there's things in the movie. That they just had to dial back because no one would believe it the way stuff went down. Like there's a scene in this of him like kicking a grenade away and stuff and mm. all, it, it happened. It's not a documentary, but he did some pretty amazing things. And he's sort
0: of earning the respect of his peers, right?
1: Yeah, that's what's definitely what's happening. That's like a through line through this. But yeah, yeah he just wants to save people.
0: Little side note, actually. If I'm from Germany, if you don't know. And it's written in our constitution that we can refuse to bear arms. Like they, we have a draft, but we can refuse. We can be conscientious objectors, and they have to oh, respect cool. it. Once you're like in the in the midst of things, like you're really editing stuff, sometimes you just have to go for it, and you 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 cannot really pay that much attention to like the architecture of a scene and. Clearly here, mm-hmm. it also helps you to make it more chaotic and so on. But oftentimes when I'm cutting scenes, sometimes I just sort of abandon the idea of trying to like, match the right shots with each other, that each one has a close-up when they're in this moment and then we go to a medium when it's a little less important or whatever. It's just I'm going for whatever is the best shot and what creates the most like, organic cut. And so then when you Mm -hmm. look at it afterwards and try to analyze it, it's just like a whole mess. But it works when you watch it and you don't analyze it. But if you look closer, then it's like, why we're now in this really close shot and then immediately we're like in a white shot. Even though in terms of what we're seeing, like the actor's business, the body movement, we don't really need to be that white. It just happens to be what is the best moment to use.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But that said, there is, you know, it's great when you see films that are, you know, executed on all levels, not to saying that that didn't happen a lot with this film, but having a director that has that understanding where you're being delivered something that allows you to actually have like the fundamentals in there, like at least knowing what the certain screen direction is. It's always nice to see when these tools are being used to, make breaking them more impactful and how, you know, over the long haul, you could see a movie like this if you just have... And it's, you know, it's an ongoing thing. Like James Cameron, we say this a lot, has a very specific approach to shooting action scenes where he's like, no, the line will be respected. We saw that in Seven Samurai. So that's why we're kind of looking... At that film, comparing it to this film, and how similar they end up being, yeah, even though one has a way more craziness going on, a lot more deaths, different types of weapons it 's just good to look at different directors' approaches, and then you can you know we can look at something that has more of like a melee style, but this is just all about looking at the ones that are making use of that idea of screen direction, maybe it gives some understanding and insight to people that are, are grappling with it, and
0: how you know why it matters, why do rules matter yeah, yeah. it 's just about but, how you can use it. But I do want to like bring another example up. If you go to like 4.11, mm-hmm. you're having like kind of a medium shot of, I think that is our main character, Andy Garfield. And he's trying to fix up a guy. He's giving him like a shot of adrenaline or something. Morphine, yeah, yeah. Morphine, okay, there you go. So we'll <laughs> go from a medium profile to an insert of him applying the morphine. And then we go mm-hmm. to an a crane shot over like looking down birds eye view on the guy mm-hmm. which is usually like the shot when somebody's dying like it's like the soul is flying to heaven kind of shot right and it's only like 2 seconds and then we're back in the moment so right i don't think that that was storyboarded that way that's just editing where you're like okay i'm grabbing the shot now because right now i'm feeling like is he going to save the guy or is he going to die And then we're Mm -hmm. back in like, okay, he's still alive. He's still with us. And I don't think that's storyboarded or written into the script. I think that's just hardcore editing where you're like in the midst of it, just trying to tell the story. And Mm -hmm. you're just grabbing these shots as they apply.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, and it adds like a bit of release and all this chaos before getting back to it and, you know, the sense of like maybe the morphine hitting the guy or whatever. But the thing to keep in mind with this film is that it did cost $40 million. So to what degree they had the luxury that they would if Ridley Scott was doing it to maybe not really plan it out, even though he, you know, notoriously plans out all his shots, but it'll be like eight cameras going at once. I, I, I theorize that there's a lot more strategy... At least a lot more knowledge going into, well, we need this. Yeah, you know, yeah. as long as we do this, we can find something. Because, you know, I don't think they had a lot of
0: takes to have people, like 11 people getting their heads blown off and stuff like that. So, so you're suggesting they didn't shoot the hell out of it. Like they shot every angle they could think of and then say, we'll figure it out later. They sort of had a clear yeah, I just game don't... plan how to cover this efficiently.
1: I have a theory and the, when I kind of poke and look into it and prod at it, I get that vibe. And especially given where Mel Gibson's career was, you know, the budget they were given for it, like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think that to deliver this for $40 million, I mean, it takes a lot of a lot of craft and understanding how to how to shoot this type of scene.
0: Yeah. yeah. And he's done that. So he um. knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah, but you know it's not as epic as Braveheart. It's a whole different feel, but he had a
0: lot more money on that one. But even if you have a really strong game plan, you still change it in the editing. You still mix it up because you need to sometimes because things aren't working the way that you envision it.
1: Totally, and I think this is an example of of setting yourself up well for a successful edit as opposed to just randomly
0: kind of just running ass wild as allegedly Michael Bay films do. Or Ridley Scott, who shoots with multi-cameras all the time and then says, then we'll figure it out later. We'll just cover everything.
1: Yeah, but he definitely has a strategy to where those cameras go and what that blocking oh, is, etc. Oh, yeah, et cetera, absolutely. Et cetera, et cetera. It's an art
0: form where he's like, what's the best way to get the best shots and still have several cameras rolling?
1: Yeah. This is just the intensity of a Ridley Scott film with like a third of the money. <laughs> So how do you find that? Um, But anyways, it's a fun one to look at and think about. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard, please let a friend know. We'll be coming back with something exciting next week. Sven will be letting you know what that is. It's going to have moving images. Whoa. (laughs) Maybe we should do something with stills. Anyways, so uh, thank you for listening uh, to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Let a friend know about the podcast. We appreciate it. And let us know your thoughts about the Bohemian Rhapsody controversy. Have we gone too far? i gone too far. Sven's his own person.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I, I can move on. I'm good with Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a good movie. There's some problems. Cool. One more week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you to Curter for the music. And as Finn always says... Happy editing. Hopefully
0: this worked for you. I was a little more chill.